Hello, hello, and welcome to The Art of Being You with me, Rachel Wortman. You guys, this podcast is all about learning to be who God created you to be, embracing that person, and ultimately living your best life with Jesus. We've got a lot of great content today, so let's get to it in The Art of Being You. What's up, my tribe? Listen, we are creating a group of people here on this podcast who are unapologetically pursuing their best life, being their truest self, and loving Jesus along the way. And I am so excited that you're a part of it. Today on the podcast, we're talking about something that's a little bit controversial, a little bit taboo, maybe. We're talking about sin. What is sin? Why do we sin? How do we not sin? And all the things related to that. But I mean, I guess it's not that controversial considering I feel like every week I'm saying to you, we're talking about a typically taboo topic. So at this point, episode 14, it's probably not taboo anymore. So I guess it's my job to tell you, welcome to the new normal. Hashtag your best life. All right, well, to dive into today's content, the best way I can think of doing this is to tell you a really embarrassing story about myself. When I was a young lass, when I was a teenager, my church, I went to a Methodist church, and my church loved to do something called choir tours. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with what a choir tour is, but essentially it's the youth group choir coming together and learning a Christian style musical and some songs at my era, typically Point of Grace, type songs and we would learn them and then we would travel the nation in a bus and we would typically pick somewhere we were going. One year it was Disney World, one year the Mall of America, one year Niagara Falls and just sort of vacation destinations and then we would stop at other churches in our denomination along the way and we would perform this musical for whoever was bored enough to come. I say it like that because in hindsight I think Wow, it's truly amazing that anyone showed up for a youth group performance from a church that they have no connection with. Fascinating tidbit for you. But in my youth group choir, I had one of the leads in one of our plays my senior year, and we had this song, and it went a little bit like this. I'm going to sing it for you, and just remember, I'm not a recording artist, although I am recording this podcast. It went something like this. It's sin. S-I-N, beginning in Eden, then ending until who knows when. I maybe got one of the words wrong there, but you get the point. We sang this song, it's sin, and then we would spell it out with a little bit of sass in our snapping hand motions. And this song stayed with me forever. In fact, here we are two decades later, and I can still recall it with no issue whatsoever. But what is sin? So in today's world, in our postmodern world, we are having huge arguments theologically about sin. You may not have borne witness to this, but we are. And I'm not going to get into any of the hot topics related around it. I just want to talk on a very practical level about sin. So if you follow me on Facebook a couple weeks ago, or on Instagram for that matter, a couple weeks ago I put out a post that was about sin. And I shared this quote with you that the Lord had put on my heart. And it was this, if your religious view is centered around your moral code, you've missed the point entirely. I don't know what it is about us Christians, but we are so addicted to the understanding that we're doing the right thing and therefore self-righteously 
indignant upon casting judgment on those who we perceive that are doing the wrong thing. And in that dichotomy, we build ourselves up even more. And then morality becomes our God and not Jesus. Yep. I said it. Now here's the thing. Morality is important. It helps the society as a whole, and it is a byproduct of your relationship with Jesus. But when we focus on being morally good, as if that is the end goal, then we've missed the whole point entirely. You are designed to connect with God, to understand him, to learn to think like him, and then consequently act like him. And then in that, you are shunning what he shuns and doing what he does, And that's where morality comes from. So it's ridiculous to go to someone who has no relationship with God and say, you are immoral and therefore flawed eternally because you do bad things. And all the while missing the point that the reason why we do good things is because it comes from a place of relationship with God. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about three categories or stages of sin. Now, these are not necessarily one, two, three in order. They're just three different relationships people have with sin. Okay. Because at its root, sin is basically choosing to do something that's against God's order or his will. That's what sin is as a general rule. If God tells you don't do it and you do it, That's why it is a sin. Now, this happened the first time in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve ate the apple. You know, Eve got uh, her mind a little twisted. She had some ideas that weren't so great. And then there we go. The fall happens. Sin has been happening ever since then. But then this crazy thing happened. In the Garden of Eden, when they were cast out, slight theological tangent for you, God actually gave them a covering for uh, their bodies so that their nakedness or their now their awareness of their shame would be solved. They'd have a solution for that. And the covering God gave them was to kill an animal, essentially sacrifice an animal to cover the shame of Adam and Eve. If you're not catching the theological inference that I'm giving, let me give it to you in a very practical way. Jesus, or excuse me, God then created the system of the world to be you sin and an animal sacrifice with a blood payment is the way you atone that. So the altar of the temple, and they would also sacrifice in the tabernacle before the temple was built. The blood payment was the only solution to handle the sins of humanity. Fast forward thousands of years and Jesus, who is called the perfect lamb of God, who in fact was born in Bethlehem where they actually, um, raised the sacrificial lambs. That was one of the places where the sacrificial lambs for Passover sacrifices were actually raised. And then God does what he does best that nobody could plan. And surprisingly, Jesus is born in Bethlehem, the place of the sacrificial lambs birth. And then he goes on to live a completely spotless and sinless life. And then he becomes the lamb of God who was slain for our sins and his payment of blood being spilt on the cross then satisfies all of the payment we owe for our sin. That's the gospel. I hope you already knew that. I hope that's not news to you. So the blood of Jesus is the currency with which we absolve ourselves from sin. So when you come into salvation, when you are born again, you are born prophetically speaking through blood and water in the same way you are born in the natural through blood and water. And the blood is Jesus and the water is the cleansing of the Holy Spirit through your water baptism. And there you are a new creation. So 
That's catching us up to speed theologically. Now we have three categories of relation to sin, and it all depends on what's going on inside of you. This is why sin is nuanced. There are some sins that are just a no-go for all humanity, but there are other things that might be okay for one person that are not okay for you. And that's why relationship has to be the king goal of your heart. The first category or way we relate to sin is through blissful unawareness. It's not really blissful. I mean, we're kidding ourselves to think that those who are living a life apart from Jesus and relationship with him are actually really enjoying their life. They might be enjoying it to the extent that they know how, but abundant life and true peace is only found through the person of Jesus. I wanted to talk about sin today and not theology, but yet here I am. So category number one, blissful unawareness. This is when people are just, they don't know. They don't know it was a sin. These would be people who don't know Jesus or they are saved because they know Jesus is the son of God, but they've never been taught, never opened their Bible. And they're just blissfully unaware of what is right and what is wrong. Category number two is an incomplete understanding. These are people who are born again, but they don't understand why something is a sin. And so they succumb to the temptation time and time again because they're lacking understanding. Now, here's why these categories are important. I truly believe God relates to you depending on which category you're in. So when we read the Bible and we read verses about sin, we have to take it into the context of who he was addressing in that moment. We see this with the woman at the well, right? And he has this amazing conversation with her where she goes on to basically start the first revival. She goes back to her city and tells everybody about Jesus. She's not even a Jewish woman and she's blissfully unaware that living with all with her uh, boyfriend is a sin in God's eyes, that being married so many times, you know, going through the act of divorce that technically, according to Jewish law, was a sin. She's blissfully unaware of all these things. And yet God ministers to her in a way that is not condemning. It's not harsh and it's not judgmental. Why? Because he understands exactly where she is. Then we've got those who they just need more understanding, category two, incomplete understanding. And then the third way that we relate to sin is through deliberate indifference. Deliberate indifference. Essentially, this is the type of people who say, yeah, I know that's wrong. I just don't care. Yeah, I know that's wrong, but you know, I'm living my own life and you do you baby and I will do me and that's how it is. Now, these are people who know God, who have had an awareness of God. They understand why this is a sin and yet they choose to do it anyway. When we see the harsh words of Jesus to the Pharisees, for example, in the Bible, this is the type of posture that sometimes happens with people in category three. It's not always the case, but it is often the case because the way God handles you when you have had relationship with him and you choose to essentially deliberately sin against him, it's just different. It's different than those who are blissfully unaware. So this is the first thing we got to do when we're talking about sin is we got to understand when we're talking to someone or we're wanting to be judgmental in our minds, you got to look at the category. Are they blissfully unaware? Well, all of your best hellfire and brimstone and, cond- and condemnation is not going to work to help them. Honestly, between you and me, it's not going to work on anybody, but you know, you do you. <laughs> so God sees these three categories unique and his response to them is tailored accordingly. So here is why sin matters. This is God's world and we're living in it. This is God's world. He created it. We are his creation and he has every right to tell us how to live according to his plan. 
Now, in his infinite mercy and his love and his grace, he actually gives you the choice of whether you want to live in that plan or not. But it's like it says in Deuteronomy where God is essentially telling the people through Moses, I think it's Moses, there's two mountains. And he says, listen, today you're going to choose which mountain you're going to serve, the mountain of blessing or the mountain of curses. And what he's saying is, if you go with me and the way that I've designed it to work, life will go well for you. It's not a manipulative statement. It's not a uh, trying to twist their arm and bribe them with blessings. It's really just, this is how it works. If you have a car and your car needs a new part and you just deliberately choose to keep driving on it and hoping that car will continue taking place, taking you places, listen, don't be surprised when the car breaks down because it wasn't designed to do that. That's what God is saying here. I designed this world. You're living in my creation. It has a specific way that it works the best and there's blessing attached to that. So when you're doing the things that God wants you to do, good things tend to happen. When we're out of the realm of God, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be smited or you're going to be you know, struck down by lightning or anything like that. It just means that you're living in an alternative reality and the things that God designed to work for you may not apply because you're on a different path. I hope that makes sense to you. I don't mean this to sound harsh at all. I'm trying to make this as simple as possible. So here's what the Bible says about sin. A couple of things. It talks about how you are now, if you're saved, if you're a new creation, you're not a sinner anymore in God's eyes. Say what? This is crazy talk. Why? Because your payment of sin, the wages of your sin, Romans tells us, is death. So you deserve to die. Jesus died in your place. He paid the blood payment for you so that now you are no longer a sinner. You're actually considered by God a saint. It's mind boggling. So that's one of the things the Bible says about sin. But then it also goes on to talk about in another place in Romans that, you know, the grace of God is so flowing so freely that it almost gives us this idea of um, that, that you can sin and it doesn't matter. But Paul specifically states through the Holy Spirit, it's God writing the book of Romans through Paul. It's not Paul's ideas. God says in Romans, he says to you, grace does not abound so that sin can happen right? That's my paraphrase. But he says it like this, you know, does grace abound so that sin can abound? No, by no means. What is that meaning? That means the grace of God exists to empower you to freedom, not to give you excuses to sin. That's really what it's saying. So the Bible tells us to repent and sin no more. Jesus says this multiple times in his ministry. So if we're saints, if we are no longer sinners, then do we ever need to confess our sin? And do we ever sin again? Well, there's at least three different places in the New Testament books where we are admonished and charged and encouraged by God to confess our sins. So we know that we are now no longer viewed as a sinner, but we do have things we need to confess that are sins. This is part of the process of being redeemed as we're walking with God and we are letting go of the old thought processes and accepting the new. You've probably heard the analogy about light and dark, what, you know, like bring it into the light. So here's an interesting thing. What stays in darkness, especially spiritually speaking, when it stays in the darkness, it continues to grow. It's kind of like, think about it like a zombie or like a vampire, right? I know this is a stretch, but just go with me for a second. A vampire can't handle the light, but in the darkness, they have free reign to do all kinds of bad things, you know? But the second the light comes in, it's like, boom, that's their kryptonite. It's like that with our spiritual selves. When we are hiding a sin, 
We're hiding it from God and his light because we're foolishly thinking he doesn't know. And we're honestly trying to make ourselves believe that he can't help us because we like it in that momentary gratification. But what comes into the light stalls out. The growth stalls out. So if you're dealing with something, the best thing you can do is confess it to someone else because the second that it's in the light, God has access to touch that and to help you. So this is, I guess, apparently becoming a theological look at what sin is, but I want to talk to you for a second about how do you get over sin? What do you do? So let me just tell you that your relationship with God is the most important thing. Focusing on modifying your behavior or trying to control your actions and what you do and don't do, it feels good because it's in our control, but it's in the place of vulnerability with God, which is what he's really looking for. God wants to have a relationship with you where you are free to talk to him and you love him enough to listen to what he wants to say to you. Encompassed in that love is the ability to trust his plan for your life. So here's where it gets tricky. You start to trust his plan for your life. He starts poking his finger on things that aren't healthy for you. And then it's like, it's on, right? You have to make the choice to really trust God. I'm telling you that choice will be the best one that you ever do with your life. So freedom from sin, whether it's sexual sin or otherwise, it's available to you through the empowerment of God and your connection with him. Okay, let's be real for a second. You can stop sinning for a time through sheer willpower alone. It's possible. But you will find longer, more fulfilling freedom from your sinful nature through focusing less on changing your behavior and more on knowing God's heart. So how do you do this? How do you understand God's perspective on sin and how it pertains to you? Step number one, repent for your actions that were against God's value system. Remember, this is God's world and we're living in it. So things might feel right to us. They might, you know, in our opinion, we might be like, this is good, but God said no. Guess who we defer to? It's God. Spoiler alert. So things like anger or rage, you know, we begin to ask God, uh, what, how does this work? Like I'm raging against my family. Why? Because I'm not treating them as individuals, as sons and daughters of God. If it's lust, man, so much of lust is rooted in our thinking that other people are merely sexual objects for your personal gratification. Guys, when you're watching pornography, that's what you're doing, right? When you're fantasizing over somebody at night or during the day or whatever, and you're, you know, your fantasy is leading to your own personal sexual gratification, that's wrong because you're treating someone adversely and against how God created them to be. They don't exist for your sexual empowerment. They exist for God's purposes. So that's just one of the reasons why lust is something you got to take into the light. Uh, what else? We can talk about gluttony or self-indulgence. You know, when we're indulging in anything, alcohol, drugs, sex, food, uh, TV, social media, if we're doing that as a way to cope with our internal pain, then we're looking at life different than how God wants us to. It's like apart from his ultimate plan. One more time. This is God's world and we're living in it. So step number one is repent for your actions. Step number two is to ask God to show you why what you're doing is actually a sin. Like, why is it wrong in his eyes? So you're not just taking it at face value and saying, I'm sorry, Lord, I'm a scumbag. Please forgive me. You're taking it into relationship and saying, talk to me about why this is a problem. Talk to me about why when a temptation comes up, you know, a pop-up ad for a pornography site or something like that pops up and, and I feel drawn to that and it feels good in that moment. Talk to me about why that's a problem. I'm telling you, the Lord is going to blow your mind with revelation because he's going to start showing you stuff you could never see when you're just saying this is 
wrong, it's bad, and you're not bringing it into conversation. So ask him why. Ask him why it's wrong in his eyes. Step number three, ask God to help you renew your mind in accordance with how he thinks and how he sees the world. Guys, this is huge. If you want to be free from sin, you're going to do that by renewing your mind to think like God and to act accordingly. Step number four, hold yourself accountable, but in this way, hold yourself accountable to thinking like him and acting accordingly. Challenge yourself to see people, things, food, and life the way that God created it. And then that's what you're holding yourself accountable to. In other words, you're calling yourself up into who God created you to be, not reminding yourself of all the bad things that you do. Step number five, just repeat this process as many times as it takes for freedom to set in. I just got to tell you point blank and as you know, crass as I can, when you really want to be free, you will be, but you got to decide. I don't want to deal with sin anymore in my life. At least call it by a specific name. Maybe it's lust. Maybe it's gluttony. Maybe it's gossip. I don't know what kind of sin it is, but you have to call it, you know, maybe it's, it's like insecurity. Like I'm addicted to feeling like a terrible, worthless person. That's also a sin because it's contrary to how God created you to be. So you call it out, bring it into the light, follow those steps and repeat it as many times because when you want to be free, you will get free. The resources of heaven, Jesus himself, the Holy Spirit and all the angelic hosts and everything that God has created is behind you becoming your best self and it's possible. So I'm going to wrap it up there for today. I hope this is helpful for you. We don't talk about sin very much, at least not in this light. But just remember, the next time that you are gravitating to something that's against God's will, stop, ask him, get his perspective, and see if that helps it, um, you know, helps you deal with that temptation a little bit more. You are empowered. You are set free by God. Your sins are paid for. And God's with you. Love you guys. Have a great day. So you've just listened to The Art of Being You with Rachel Wortman. I hope you enjoyed this episode of my podcast. And listen, it would mean the world to me if you would subscribe and rate or review this podcast on wherever you're listening from. Also, share it with a friend. Help me get the word out. Until next time, be blessed.